Amen. Thank you, Nicole, for leading us in worship this morning. And we are certainly blessed here at the Oasis to have Nicole as our worship leader. And I want to also say this, and you'll see them one day, but I just want to thank the folks that come out, the, the few that come out to uh, run the technical side of this so that we can do this on Sunday mornings and on Wednesday nights. Without them, we could not do this live stream. And uh, so we want to acknowledge those behind the scenes, if you will, and thank them for their ministry here today as well. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. To me, it's one of the most magnificent and marvelous chapters in all the Bible. And I don't pretend to, to uh, be able to do this chapter justice this morning, but I, I want us to just look at a few things out of this chapter this morning. Let's first again be reminded that oftentimes the circumstances we experience in life cause us to lose sight of our God. The Jews were in exile in Babylon. They were in Babylonian captivity during the writing of this book. And they had lost sight of their great God. And so Isaiah the prophet appears on the scene, and you'll notice these words at the end of verse 9 of chapter 40. The prophet is saying to the people of God, here is your God. He wants them again to look at who their God is, to be reminded of who he is. You see, in the adverse circumstances of life, God's people need to take another look at God. We need to take a fresh or get a fresh look at the Lord. It's not that God wants his people to be ostriches that bury our head in the, in the ground and pretend like, you know, things are different, that, that we're not dealing with the reality that we are. That's not what God wants. But what he does want us to do is to be able to look through him at our circumstances. Not to deny our circumstances, not to pretend like they're not there, not to not deal with reality, but to look always at our circumstances through him. To make sure that we are seeing him. And I want to divide chapter 40 up into sort of three sections this morning. And I want to begin actually in verse 12, where the prophet Isaiah is reminding the people of God, this is who God is. Here is your God. And he will not change. The Lord even said, I am the Lord, I change not. And the same God that he was during Isaiah's time and during the Babylonian captivity of God's people, when they lost sight of their great God, is the same God that he is today. Then let's be reminded, who is our God? And the first thing Isaiah is going to portray our God as is he's just great. His greatness is beyond our ability to be able to conceive and and that that actually should be a comfort to us because when you and I are going, especially through times of hardship and adversity and, and difficult times, we want to know that there's someone we can turn to in this universe that is able to help us. And so God in his greatness is showing us, I'm able to help you. 
because there's no one greater than me. And notice he begins, first of all, in verse 12 with talking about the God of creation and reminding us about the awesomeness of our creator. He says, who has measured out the waters in the hollow of his hand or carefully measured the sky or carefully weighed the soil of the earth or weighed the mountains in a balance or the hills on scales? Who but God? You and I, even with all of our modern technology, we can't get to the end of the universe. We don't know how vast it is, how many galaxies are out there, and yet Isaiah is reminding us our God is the God who created all of this. And he knows it in its intimate detail, things that way beyond what we could ever imagine or know ourselves. And then he tells us, oh, and by the way, the God who was able to bring this all about out of nothing is also the God that had the wisdom to be able to design it and plan it and build it and sustain it. Notice verse 13, who but God could comprehend the mind of the Lord? Who gives God instruction as his counselor? From whom does he receive directions? Who teaches him the correct way to do things or imparts knowledge to him or instructs him in skillful design? Isaiah is painting a picture of God here to his own people, saying, let's remember, folks, that God is beyond our human comprehension. He's much greater than we could ever conceive him to be. One of the things that I think is important for us here as the people of God is to get back to God. <laughs> to make sure that he is at the center of our individual lives and, 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 and our lives even as the people of God and even as our churches. And I think maybe one of the good things that can come out of the season that we're going through is that we all get back to God and making him the center again. And even in our churches where you know, it can tend to be about us as human beings rather than about God, that God now becomes front and center of our worship and of our activity and, and our engagement, even in our local churches. That it's not about us anymore, it's about God because we see how valuable it is to make sure that God stays at the very center of our lives, especially when times of adversity or hardship comes because we can tend to lose sight of him and the circumstances can become bigger than God. And Isaiah is saying, no matter what circumstances we go through, even being exiled in a foreign country like God's people were at this time, away from their homes, away maybe from their other family members, and, and a whole diff different life, trying to navigate a, a new normal like we're even trying to do here, Isaiah is saying God is greater and bigger than all that. In fact, you and I don't even know how vast the universe is. We can't quantify it, if you will, even today. But Isaiah wants to remind us our God is greater than bigger. He dwarfs all that he created. You see, the, the creator... And that which he created, there's a vast gulf there. And instead of trying to bring God down to a level that we can wrap our arms around and wrap our minds around, and, you know, we try to even, you know, maybe intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or unconsciously, put him in a, a box and, and keep him there as the God that, that we can sort of understand within the box. Isaiah is wanting to blow the lid off the box and say, don't try to put God in a box 
God is greater than all that. God is bigger than all that. Let God be God and let him be the incomparable God, the God who dwarfs all of creation. Notice verse 15. Look, the nations, we think the world's so big and, and the nations are so great. He says, look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket compared to God. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He lifts the coastlands as if they were dust. Verse 17. All the nations put together are insignificant before him. They regard it as absolutely nothing. We tend to put significance on things that really aren't significant, and the one thing that we know is significant, the God that we know, sometimes doesn't get the significance and the importance and the value and the worth that he so deserves. I say as Isaiah is saying, here's your God, people of God. Here's who he is. He's incomparable. Verse 18, to whom can you compare God? There is nothing that compares to the Lord. The psalmist said, whom do I have in heaven but you or on earth but you? There is no other one like God. In fact, beginning in verse 18, the prophet is saying, God is so great that to make an idol of any kind would be absurd. To, to try to... to, to to try to make some understanding of God and, and, and put him into some kind of visible form, totally absurd. God is way beyond that, and we need to allow him to be that. In fact, notice in verse 22, he who is the one God who sits on the earth's horizon, it's like he's above it all, not, not that he doesn't care, not that he's detached, but just again, portraying for us how great and incomparable and awesome God is. Its inhabitants all together, the billions and billions of people are still like grasshoppers, verse 22, before him. He's the one who stretches out the sky like a thin curtain and spreads it out like a pitch tent. He's the one who reduces rulers to nothing and makes the earth's leaders insignificant. He's sovereign. He's in control. All the earth's leaders put together can't even begin to come close to the greatness of God. In fact, Isaiah says, indeed, they are barely planted. Yes, they are barely sown until he blows them away, causing them to dry up. They're here today, gone tomorrow. But God is the eternal one, you see. And that was important even for the people in Isaiah's day, because they were like, are we going to be under the Babylonians forever? And God's like, no, they'll be gone. They're a world empire now, but they're going to pass off the world scene, but I'm still here. I'm still God. Then verse 25, to whom can you compare me? Who do I resemble, says the Holy One? It reminds me in these phrases, even from the prophet Isaiah, when Jesus turned to his disciples one day and said, do you want to go away too? Because at that point, many of those who had been following Jesus abandoned him and did not follow him any longer. And he turned to those few around him and said, do, do you want to go too? And Peter's response was, Lord, to whom would we go? Where are we going to go but you? You alone have the words of eternal life. In a sense, that's what Isaiah is saying here. Saying, who but God? Who but God? And then Isaiah spends a few verses talking about God in relationship to the stars. 
Notice he says, look up at the sky, verse 26. Who created all these heavenly lights? He is the one who leads out their ranks. He calls them all by name. Because of his absolute power and awesome strength, not one of them is missing. Why does he do that? Because the Babylonians, the ones that had God's people, in a sense, seemingly in the palm of their hand, they were star worshipers. They didn't worship the one true God, Jehovah. They worshiped the stars as one of their many things that they worship. And Isaiah is reminding the people of God, you, you realize that God is the one that created all those billions of stars that when we look up on a clear night and we see them, we can't even count them. They're innumerable. And yet the Bible tells us he has a name for every one of those billions or trillions of stars up there. Even beyond what you and I can see or calculate or even, again, what we can can wrap our minds around with, with all of our technology going to the end of the universe as we know it, and we know that it's even beyond that at this point. God has it all under control, and not one of those stars is out of his control. And, and Isaiah is simply saying, this is your God. If God is able to sustain the universe and create it and bring it into being and has all of this, can God not get us through what we're dealing with? Can his greatness not give us hope that if God is keeping the universe going and our planet spinning, and as I've said to our people before, none of us, I don't think, goes to bed every night, you know, worrying about the fact, is, is the sun going to come up tomorrow? Or throughout the day, do we worry that the moon might not come up that evening? No, we don't give it a thought because God is faithful. And God is over his creation. And even in his creation, we see his greatness. The Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens show his handiwork. And so that's where Isaiah starts out. He starts out by saying, back in verse 9, here's your God, and then goes into this, you know, passage about this is who he is. This is how great he is. And we want him to be that great because then we know that we can turn to the one that's greater than it all and we can have him help us. It's not just enough, though, that God is great. Isaiah wants to remind us he's also a God of grace or graciousness. And why that's important is it's one thing for someone to be able to help. It's another thing that they desire or that they have a willingness to help. And God is both. That makes him such an amazing God. You know, like you and I as human beings, there are times where me, we might have a need and, and we know somebody in our life that's able to help us, but they're unwilling to help us. Or we might even have a situation sometimes in our life where we know that there's somebody who's willing to help us, but they don't have the ability or the power or the resources to help us. God is both in one. He's always great enough to be able to help us, and he's always gracious enough to be willing to help us. And so now Isaiah wants to turn our attention as God's people, not just to who he is in all of his greatness and and. and incomparableness and inconceivableness, now God want, or Isaiah wants to turn our attention to this fact. Who he is to us. Not just who he is. Who he is to us. And it has not changed. 
Again, look back at verse 9 at the end. Here is your God. Notice personal, personal. Later on in the book of Isaiah, God says, don't be afraid. I'll protect you. I know you by name, and you are mine, Isaiah 43, verse 1. Notice at the very beginning of this great chapter, God tells Isaiah, I want you to go out and I want you to comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. My people, your God. Relationship. Isaiah is saying, this is who God is to us, and it's not changed. We have a relationship with God by faith. And God will always be our God, and we will always be his people. He will not abandon his people any more than he did in the Old Testament. He will not abandon his people in the New Testament. He will never leave his people. He will never forsake his people. And he wants us to be comforted by the fact that we are his, and that he's our God. I love this word, comfort that Isaiah uses in verse 1. It literally means take a deep breath. God is saying through his prophet to his own people, take a deep breath, a deep breath. And that's even sort of important because we know that when we're under stress and anxiety, we're not breathing deeply or properly. We start to take very short breaths. We start to what they say, you know, we can even hyperventilate or even put ourselves by our breathing into panic attacks and things like that. It's only when we're able to breathe deeply and slowly that we can remain relaxed and even have our physiological part of us, our heart rate and are all of that remain in a good place? God knew that, and that's why he said, my people, be comforted by who I am. See me even in your circumstances, and see your circumstances through me. I'm your God. I'm not going anywhere. And then, he's not only our God. Notice in verse 10 and 11, the prophet wants to remind God's people that he is also our victorious warrior. He says, look, behold, the sovereign Lord comes as a victorious warrior. His military power establishes his rule. Look, his reward is with him. His prize goes before him. It reminds me again of what Nicole had shared earlier, Zephaniah 3.17, the first part of that. The Lord your God is in your midst. He is a warrior who can deliver you. Isaiah wanted to remind the people of God not only about who God is, but who he is to us. And he's not just our God, he's also our warrior who can deliver us. There's never been a fight, there's never been a battle, there's never been a war that God has been in that he has ever been defeated in. Every enemy that he's, in a sense, stepped into the ring with, he has knocked out, whether it's the, the world, the flesh, the devil, you know, death, hell, whatever. It doesn't matter. God is the undefeated, undisputed champion. He's the deliverer. And if God could deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt after almost 400 years, 
bring them out of the power of the most powerful nation on earth at that time, the Egyptians, from the grip of Pharaoh, if he could lead them and deliver them through, not around, but through the Red Sea and part it and get them through and deliver them, then cannot God deliver us through each and every circumstance that you and I will face in life. He's our victorious warrior. And maybe right now, as the people of God, one of the things that we need to be reminded of is he will deliver us through this and through anything because of who he is. He's a God who knows all the stars by name. He's a God who's incomparable. He's a God beyond our ability to conceive. Let him be God. Let him be great. Let him be big. Let him be elevated and exalted in our midst. And then, I love this, verse 11, and Nicole touched on this, both in our songs of worship and in sharing Psalm 23. And think about Psalm 23 when you think about chapter 40, verse 11. He's also not just our God and our warrior who can deliver us. He's our shepherd. Like a shepherd, he tends his flock he gathers up the lambs with his arm. He carries them close to his heart. He leads even the ewes along. That verse reminded me of the second half of Zephaniah 3.17. He takes great delight in you. He renews you by his love. He shouts for joy over you. Maybe right now as the people of God, maybe you don't need the the reality that he's your warrior who can deliver you. Maybe you're not in the fight of your life right now. Maybe you just need to be loved on by God. Maybe you just need to know, I don't need to know him right now as my divine warrior. Maybe I just need to know him as my shepherd who will gather me up in his arms and carry me close to his heart. That's our God too. He's not just the one who is so powerful that he can defeat any and everything that comes against us. But he's also our loving shepherd that wants to take us up in his arms and hold us close and let, let us, in a sense, even feel, if you will, and hear his heart beat so that we can be comforted. You see, that's our shepherd. And I would encourage you to not only meditate and read over Isaiah chapter 40 this coming week, but read Psalm 23 and meditate on that too. The Lord is my shepherd. There again, David is saying, we've got to remember who God is to us. Is he your personal shepherd? Is he your God? Are you one of his people has there been a time in your life where you placed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? If so, that changes everything. Because then God, not because he has to, because he wants to, obligates himself to us. He says, because now you are my people, I will provide, I will protect, I will, I will do this for you because of your love for my son Jesus. This is who God is to us. And my friends, that's who God was to the people of Israel who were being held captive in a foreign country of Babylon thousands of years ago. 
And that same God has not changed. He is still our God. He is still our victorious warrior. He is still our loving shepherd. There's another part of this passage, too, that is just as important as the first two. And that is Isaiah wants to also remind us that what God offers to us as his people has also not changed and will not change. What are some of the things that Isaiah points out that God offers to his people? I want you to go back to verse 3. A voice cries out in the wilderness, clear a way for the Lord. God is showing his people a way to live. How to live. In verses 3 through 5. Construct in the desert a road for our God. Every valley must be elevated, every mountain and hill leveled. The rough terrain will become a level plain, the rugged landscape a wide valley. Why, in a sense, is God describing doing all this, you know, raising the valleys, lowering the mountains, all that? Why is he describing things in that way as a way to live to his people so that they can get rid of all the obstacles, all the distractions, and everything that blocks, notice verse 5, the splendor of the Lord. So that basically we get rid of everything in our life so that we can continually see our God and behold him and see his glory. It's another word for splendor here. Oh, and by the way, by the way, Another meaning of this word splendor or glory in verse 5 is the word abundance. God wants us to clear away in our lives so that we see the wonder of our God. The wonder not only of his glory, of his majesty, of the manifestation of his visible perfections and attributes, but God also wants his people to always see the abundance that he offers to us. He's offering us that abundance today. Those in Christ, the resources that we have in God. Again, going back to Psalm 23, we always have through our God the ability to be in those green pastures and those still waters and to be nourished and to be refreshed. God says through the Apostle Paul, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. In fact, he goes on to say, positionally, he has raised us up and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. Peter tells us that he has not withheld anything from us, but he's given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Paul says to the Colossians, you are complete in Christ because in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form, and you're in him. This is the abundance that God's people have at their disposal, and so often as God's people, we live as paupers rather than as princes and princesses who can come and sit at the king's table, the king of king's table, every day and feast off of what God has for us. Asking God, give us today, Lord, your daily bread. Sustain us with what you can give us. Because, Lord, if we take in your water, we'll never be thirsty. If we take in your bread, we will never be hungry, God. 
You are the God of abundance, and we want to clear everything out of our life so that we can always see you and see the wonder and splendor and glory that is yours and yours alone. There's something else the Lord offers his people. Notice in verse 7, the grass dries up, the flowers wither. When the wind sent by the Lord blows on them, surely humanity is like grass. The grass dries up, the flowers wither. He's simply reminding us about how short and how fragile and how feeble our earthly lives are. But then he says this, but the decree or word of our God is forever reliable, you see. So go up on a high mountain, O herald Zion. Shout out loudly, O herald Jerusalem. Shout, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. He not only offers us his wonder, he offers us his word. And Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, just like you and I, our earthly bodies, will one day pass away. But Jesus said, my word will never pass away. You see, what gives us security and stability, especially in times of adversity and hardship and, and all of these things? The word of God. Because the word of God's going to outlast it all. God, even one day, as we talked about Wednesday night, it's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And this heaven and this earth that we know is going to one day pass off the scene. But God's word never is. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And when you and I settle our lives into his settled word, then we can be settled. Because there's nothing more stable or secure than the word of God. And that's what God offers to his people. The same things that he offered to his people in Isaiah's day are the same things he offers to his people to bring comfort, to allow us to take a deep breath in the midst of our circumstances. Again, not denying our circumstances, but seeing God through our circumstances. Here is your God. Here's who God is to you, and here's what he offers you. One more thing. God not only offers his people wonder and his word, he also offers his people his willingness to help. Going back again to not only is he a great God who's able to help us, he's a gracious God who's willing to help us. Begin following along over in verse 27, and this is sort of the part of chapter 40 that is the most familiar, the most quoted part of this passage. At this point, even after Isaiah has painted a picture and portrait of God being incomparable and inconceivable and all of that, he says to the people of God, why do you, Jacob, and why do you, Israel, say the Lord is not aware of what's happening to me? My God is not concerned with my vindication. You see, at this point, God and, of course, the prophet Isaiah hears the cries of despondency and despair from the people of God. Why? Because sometimes in our circumstances, we not only can lose sight of our God, sometimes in our circumstances, we think that God has forgotten about us, that he doesn't care because he's allowing something to go on. And that's, again, when the prophet points his attention back and says, verse 28, do you not know? 
Have you not heard? The Lord is an eternal God, the creator of the whole earth. He doesn't get tired or weary. There's no limit to his wisdom. So in his graciousness as a gift, he gives strength to those who are tired. To the ones who lack power, he gives as a gift renewed energy. See, the prophet is urging the people of God who are weary, who are despondent to wait and to depend and rely on the Lord. And he says, look, I get it. Verse 30, even youths get tired and weary. Even strong young men clumsily stumble. In other words, in certain times of life, in certain circumstances and whatever, based upon the intensity of the adversity or the intensity of the, of the obstacles, and then the timing of them, how prolonged they are, even young people can start to wear out. God never does. And God in his grace is always willing to help God's people through whatever our circumstances are, which is why verse 31 is so important when the prophet says, but those who wait for the Lord's help find renewed strength. They rise up as if they had eagle's wings. They run without growing weary. They walk without getting tired. Let me ask you a question this morning. Look at those words in verse 31, the Lord's help. We have a choice as God's people. We can navigate the circumstances of our life on our own without the Lord's help, or we can navigate them with the Lord's help. And the Lord is offering his help to his people. And now combine all that Isaiah has pointed out in this chapter, and you'll realize why he spent so much time talking about how great God was. Because if God is truly that great, that he could create the universe out of nothing, sustain it, keep it going, maintain it, and all of that, and we don't ever give a thought, nor could we even try to run the universe. Couldn't even begin to do that. And God does it every second to keep it going. Then the prophet is saying, and this God is offering to give us help? Don't we think that the help that he could give us would be adequate and sufficient enough to be able to get through anything, no matter how hard or difficult or prolonged it is? Absolutely. That's the conclusion God and the prophet Isaiah wants God's people to come to. That there's nothing I could ever face. That God, as great as he is, could not help me to get through. Are we living with the Lord's help? Or are we trying to do it on our own? And when you and I live with the Lord's help, oh my goodness, our strength will be renewed, and we're going to talk more about that next week. But notice, he says, when you and I live with the Lord's help, we soar. We rise above our circumstances like eagles. And if we need to have the energy to sprint, then we can run without growing weary. And if it becomes a marathon that we just need to hang in there for a long period of time, we'll just be able to continue to walk without getting tired because the Lord gives supernatural enablement and empowerment, way beyond what we could ever do, humanly speaking. With us, there's going to be an end. There's going to be a limit. With God, there is no limit. Remember, 
He's beyond what we could conceive. He's beyond whatever our minds could come up with. He's beyond human comprehension. And I want us to capture one more thing out of verse 31 before we wrap this up this morning. And that's the key word, wait. Because it's only those, according to the prophet Isaiah, who wait for the Lord's help that actually possess it and grab a hold of it. What does it mean to wait? Well, it doesn't mean to be passive. And it doesn't mean just to be patient, just to sort of sit there in our homes with our legs crossed and our arms crossed waiting for God to show up. No, no. The word wait is something that we do actively. The word wait speaks about being woven or intertwined or wired into something. Think about what the prophet is saying that God wants us to be woven into him, wired into him, intertwined into him. And the more you and I connect to God and reach out and touch God and, and go to his presence and whatever, the more strength we will have. It's like making multiple touches with God throughout our day, which is why I think even Paul says to the Thessalonians, that's why I encourage you to pray without ceasing. It's not so much that, you know, God expects us to bow our heads and close our eyes and, and just pray all day, but to be in that constant touch with him and to always be in constant communion and communication with him. And every time we do that, we're wiring ourselves into God. We are weaving ourselves into God. And the more we do that, the stronger we become as God's people. Very interestingly, as I studied this, I came across an article that said that many of the ancients back in this time in history described this word visually or illustrated it by a spider's web. That as spiders create their webs, they start at a single point, and then as they go out and create their web, they always come back and wire their, their web in to that point. And as the web starts and that silk goes, it becomes this very, very... And people say that, you know, spider webs are one of the strongest things there is. Not just because of the strength of the single strand of spider silk, but because of the way they wire it or intertwine it or weave it together. It has this tremendous flexibility, but it also has this tremendous strength to it. That's the concept that Isaiah wants to get across to God's people. Not to just sit back and be patient and do nothing, but literally throughout our days to be wiring ourselves in and weaving ourselves in and connecting ourselves to God over and over and over again. And the more you and I touch God and reach out to God and draw near to God and all that, the stronger we will be. And this is the help that God offers his people. This is the help that he offered them thousands of years ago through the prophet Isaiah. And this is the same God who's offering the same help today. Oftentimes, the circumstances of our life become more than we can handle. They can start to get to us. We can start to get discouraged and start to be overcome with despair or despondency. It's especially true at times like this 
that we need to heed what the prophet Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 40. Take another look at your God. Take a fresh look at your God. Here is your God. This is him in all of his greatness. This is him in all of his graciousness. This is who he is to us. He's our God. He's our warrior. He's our shepherd. And this is what he still offers to us. His wonder, his word, his willingness to help. Let's keep weaving ourselves and wiring ourselves into our God. And we will find that strength. We will exchange our human weakness and frailty and feebleness for the unlimited supernatural strength of our great God. Let's pray. God, thank you for being a God beyond what we can conceive. And though so often, God, in our lives, we lose sight of you, God, may we see you today. We have seen you through our worship and we have seen you through the word and we pray, God, that that would continue. That even as we go our separate ways and have our different things now that we're going to do for the rest of today and on into this week, God, may we never lose sight of you. Always being reminded of who you are, God, and who you are to us and what you offer to us as your people. God, thank you. Thank you for being our warrior, but thank you for being our shepherd. We need both, God. We need a God who is great enough to be able to help us and a God who is gracious enough to be willing to help us. And in you, Lord, in you and you alone, we have both. May we run to you this morning and every day, God. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.